This is The Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. You're listening to The Advisory Board. Whether you're just starting out or figuring out your next stage of growth, we are here to lend a helping hand. I'm Megan Flamer. And I'm Alan Jones. We've been there before. Sure have. We've helped thousands of founders, CEOs, organisations all over the world take their lives and businesses to the next level. Mm -hmm. Several levels. (laughs) Each week we are here to take on the real issues from entrepreneurs like you and show you how to win the day with kindness and a little tough love. A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So make sure you send us all of your questions to Instagram. Um, You can reach out to us on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, Alan and I mostly take, you know, personal requests like song requests also. (laughs) Or you can reach out to us on disrupt.radio. Disrupt. This is the advisory board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. Not that Alan Jones. Hey, Alan. Have you always been able to find your tribe? Like, how have you discovered tribes in your life? Yeah, so usually for me, a tribe has been united around a common purpose or activity. So most of the tribes that I'm that I'm a part of or have been part of have started that way, you know. So there was a time there where I was curious about paddle sports, about kayaking and surf skis and things like that, and I just started following a few people on Twitter who were into that kind of thing. And then turned out one of those guys was, you know, in the same city as me. And uh, and then sooner or later he said, hey, we're meeting up uh, for a bit of a paddle. Anybody who wants to come along for the first time, we'd love some some newbies to, to join us. And I thought, oh, great, a chance to learn, you know. So an, another time for me was the the beginnings of StartMate, Australia's oldest accelerator program. And basically I just happened to be in, in the pub when people were starting to talk about, you know, how that might work and what might get involved. And I sort of leaned in on that and started asking questions and coming up with ideas. And so both times that was kind of united with a common purpose for me. How, how about you? It's, it's interesting because you really do notice being in the right place at the right times can really affect where and when and if you are privy to a lot of those big conversations. I mean, you know, just to put that lens on it of, you know, People going to strip clubs, for example, and let's be honest, probably men going to strip (laughs) clubs. No, or like, you know, playing golf days and things like that, Uh, where you get to be in the room where you have those kinds of conversations. And I'm noticing more and more that, you know, women are carving out times and spaces to be able to go and create those conversations and create those communities for themselves as well. Um, Because otherwise you are being left out of a lot of the conversations that would be made. I mean, I agree with you. Like, I've certainly created tribes myself um, around, you know, shared groups. Um, You know, we had camping groups and dinner clubs and things like that when I was living in the US. And I've tried to recreate some of those in Australia and people like, why, why do you have a spreadsheet for a social outing that's not as appreciated here in Australia for sure? But also, you know, playing softball or playing different sports and tennis and things like that. You create clubs and there are always opportunities to organize. And look, if you find someone who loves a spreadsheet and and ticking things off a list as much as you do, it's a glorious, beautiful thing. Today, we're talking building community. Mm. And we have quite a heartfelt letter that I really resonated with because, you know, as someone who's moved around a lot and who has changed industries and changed countries, I think it is sometimes really hard to find your people and, and find your tribe. Dear advisory board, 
I've just moved to Australia from the UK where I was working with a fintech startup. I'm really keen to get involved with the startup community here, but I'm struggling to find my people. I feel like I have a lot to offer, especially in terms of community building and marketing, but I'm finding it hard to connect and figure out where I should be and who I should know. Help a girl have a soft landing in a new town from keep calm and carry on. Alan, you know, how would you, if you landed in a completely new city, how would you meet someone? Yeah, it doesn't sound too hard to me, you know, so you know, I'd spend a little bit of time with the fintech community here or there. And, you know, I know in Sydney and in Melbourne, we have dedicated community spaces for them to, to work and to start their businesses. Um, so, you know, I might start there with something like a stone and chalk or a fish burners or a tank stream labs uh, um, here, in, here in Sydney. And... I would probably find those sorts of places by subscribing to a few email newsletters, industry email newsletters. Now, how I'll probably find those is I'll probably go back to Dr. Google and ask Dr. Google um, for, for some of that information. Um, and then maybe platforms like Medium and Substack might be a great place to, to start. With the exception of San Francisco, I'm not a veteran of moving from, from city to city and country to country. How, how about you? Do you have a different way to start? I think warm introductions and knowing people is always amazing, right? Like, yeah, like I've been very, very, very lucky that I, I mean, even before I moved to San Francisco, I had folks that I'd met when I was living in Thailand who said, you should come and look us up and you should come and work on this project and you need to meet my friend so-and-so who's working at this thing. And I think I've been very, very lucky, but I also definitely identify as a, an extrovert and I'm, you know, gregarious and I'm not afraid to go into places and talk to people. And I think that can be very difficult if you're not someone who is as outgoing. So, you know, it's not always the easiest thing to meet people in that way. Um, I love all the suggestions you've given around, you know, finding people online. And I have to say the old, like getting on Twitter and Instagram and checking out hashtags is still quite useful. Like who are the people who are having the the conversations that you're excited by and who are they talking to and noticing, you know, who's friends with whom and that sort of thing. You know, back in the early days of Twitter, you know, when we were all kind of getting on there, like I still have friends from that time, you know, people who were talking about yoga and tech and mindfulness circa 2010, you know, there's still people who I'm talking about those things with now. And I, I literally found them through joining those conversations online. So I think it's, that's a perfect place to start. But let's bring in an expert, uh, someone oh, who yeah. has done exactly this in exactly this area. Our guest today says she is consistently iterating a kaleidoscope of experience to connect meaningfully with all kinds of people. I love her already. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Her special source is a blend of growth strategy, innovation, process optimization, and design. Sabrina Zeng is the head of ecosystem at Fishburners and a specialist in strategic partnerships, innovation, and growth. Sabrina, you have just taken some time to go and live overseas in Oslo, Norway, and have now come back. So I feel like you've, you know, dealt firsthand with dropping into a new city and now coming back to Australia. 
How did you navigate that journey? Yes. And thank you so much for having me uh, on this episode as well. It's so wonderful to join you both. And I think this is such an incredibly exciting and relevant conversation that's probably only going to grow as this community continues to globalize and we start to see the whole workforce really shifting and people starting to really redefine the ways that we engage with people and ecosystems and communities. And yes, exactly as you mentioned, I did uh, in the middle of last year decide to resign from my corporate role here in Sydney and go to literally the furthest possible place from Sydney, <laughs> um, as close as the North Pole as you can get in Oslo, Norway, to essentially join an incredible startup that was helping skilled migrants and refugees actually build a life and find work in the Nordics and also build that real international community overseas. So I think there are so many facets of this that I've sort of had the privilege and the pleasure of having touch points with. And sort of learning all these different stories and people you connect with, it's an incredibly humbling thing as well. So I did then return towards the end of last year back to Sydney, which is absolutely home. But I think that was a really pivotal part of how I understand the ways that, you know, diasporas and belonging and inclusive you know, communities have to really build and be created. So I, yeah, and Norway, and it's so great listening to both of you talk about it because I think this is a really excellent blend of personalities because I would probably consider myself on that introvert, extrovert scale, probably a little bit leaning towards the introversion piece. Yes, yeah, yeah, excellent, Ellen as well. And I think that for me as well, it was such a wonderful way, I think even just outside of the sort of career-based connectivity piece. It's really just about thinking human to human, meeting people who you find really smart and interesting and, you know, wonderful characters. And there's actually so much that can come out of that and being really open-minded to how one touch point can unlock so many opportunities for you in lots of different ways. So let's talk Oslo specifically and, and, and your time there, you landed there, you, you arrived in some sort of Airbnb or something, Airbnb. What, who did you go there to connect with and be a part of? And, 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 you know, you went there to go to work for an awesome organization, but you were also there, you know, to, to reach out and connect to the rest of the community there. Did you start with your job and work through the people in your organization to find the rest of your tribe? Or did you reach out to other parts of the tribe as well? Great question. It was a blend of the two. So I knew one whole person when I was heading over there and she was a woman I'd met from previous travels. And I knew at the time that she was looking at launching this company. And I'd sort of said to her, whatever you don't want to do, let me do it. And I just want to get out there, you know, help you build this. I think it's an amazing mission and purpose. And I just wanted to be around it and involved. And I remember the night I arrived it, it was autumn and autumn in Norway, though, very different to autumn. <laughs> and it was, you know, such a just physically different environment. I remember I got there. She was also moving and I'd gone over to her house to help her move. And she'd invited a couple of friends over. It was just imagine boxes everywhere, pizza on the floor. And we're just helping move. And she'd invited a couple of friends who I didn't know at all. And I just sort of met them and spoke to them and learned that one of them actually runs um, an incubator for women founders in Oslo. And it's probably one of the, the longest standing and sort of biggest ones in the community. I had no idea. I'd sort of spent the night talking to her, sharing pizza, moving things. And it was my first night there. I wasn't thinking about work at all. I was talking about, you know, why I was here and sort of carving out my narrative a little bit. And at the end of the night, she actually said to me, well, you know what, you'd actually be 
a really interesting person to get involved in some of our programs. Do you want to come and check it out? And it was already within the first six hours, I'd sort of just come across this amazing opportunity and thought, okay, this is, this is so unlike anything else that I've experienced. Every single touch point is actually an opportunity, but you don't have to go into it thinking that way of this sort of transactional relationship. You just have to be sincere and genuine and curious. And I think curiosity is a really big part of, you know, how you build that organically. Um, and through that, through that initial connection, I then met an incredible cohort of uh, women founders who were all working on really different spaces and then ended up actually running a few uh, programs as part of that incubator. And then from there, just being introduced to more people and organically it grew. And so that was the sort of beginning of that journey. So, but wait, so you moved to Oslo Literally not yeah. having a job set up and not having yeah. a job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, nothing. what made you choose Oslo? Why did you go there? Yes. Well, and so many people there ask me that as well because it's not a place that you go to usually. No. So I went there because I knew one person who I really admired and thought was fantastic and was happy to give me the opportunity. And that was enough for me. And I thought, you know, if there were a chapter where I wanted to take some bigger swings and really, really challenge myself, and it was something that I've always wanted to do is work in global environments and I have an anthropology background. So I just really love soaking all of that up in the first place. And I went over there just to see what would happen. And I didn't have a real plan. I had a semi kind of ambitions and things I wanted to do, but how it kind of all happened really shaped up the second I landed. And that kind of chaos and ambiguity, I really gravitate towards in the first place. But then being able to piece it all together was also such a thrill and, and so rewarding as well. Okay, so you've you've just landed. And I, I, I want to make sure that we really answer this in sort of, you know, almost mm. linear terms, even though I know it doesn't exist exactly work that way. But for keep calm and carry on, reading between yes. the lines, she sounds a bit panicked and she she yes. probably feels a bit lonely, you know, mm. like how how do I find my people is what she's asking. Mm. Like, okay, it's great. You've you've met these people on that first night and you're starting to have these conversations. I hear that you're just really passionate as well about what you're talking about and you're you're talking about the things you're excited about and asking mm. questions and getting curious. How else did you really get in there and make sure that you were connecting? Yes, I think a really big part and, and what I think for Keep Calm and Carry On, I think that this is such an incredible opportunity for you to really start to curate and refine your narrative quite well, because it's not just about meeting the person. It's about what happens when you meet that person, or if you've already met them and you didn't actually have anything to sort of say in the moment, it's about sort of thinking internally, what, like, why are you here and what can you share and what are you motivated by? What are you interested in? So that people can actually help you as soon as you find that right connection to unlock that opportunity. So there's the saying, um, that a lot of people in the ecosystem use increasing your surface area for luck to strike. And a really big part of that is what's the what's the sort of internal preparation that you've done to really be able to communicate what you're looking for so that people can actually, because it could just be one person that you reach out to for a coffee. And I think in the Australian ecosystem, in my experience, there's so much camaraderie. Everyone's really willing to pay it forward. And even reaching out to people you find interesting with a LinkedIn message or however you can reach them asking, hey, I'm really curious and interested in your work. Would you have 15 minutes to sit down with me for a coffee? I'd love to ask you a few questions and I'm new here. And I, if I, I get those often and I always say yes. I just think if you can see that they're sincere and curious and interested, people will always try and find a way to help you, but it's up to you to actually have a really clear ask and sort of piece there.
I mean, I think, you know, from what I know of the fintech industry in Australia is that we have a lot of respect for the fintech industry in the UK. They kind of feel like a bit of a, a bigger brother to us, that, that, you know, things are done quite well there. Um, so, so perhaps, you know, although you, um, they may not value their, their own skill set and their own experiences, um, it may actually be more highly valued by, by people in the Australian fintech market if they're able to reach out and talk about what they've done. Absolutely. And I was actually in banking before I moved into startups and we started to see so how much was being invested into the innovation arms, the venture arms, how banks are actually thinking differently about from the ways that they operate to how they're more sustainable to how they increase the, you know, strength of their CX and UX. And there's so much here to sort of tap into. I think it is, again, about being really crisp on, you know, what do you bring? And I love that Keep Calm and Carry On started to really touch on, you know, I feel like I have a lot, you do have a lot to offer. Like, there's no question about that. It's how are you actually communicating that and how are you being really clear so that people actually know, oh, this is where I can actually direct you or this is who I can connect you with as well. But yeah, there's no shortage of opportunity, I think, coming from that background. And it's great to notice as well, like, you know, we've we've got a lot of great communities. Obviously, there are a lot of online possibilities around things like meetups mm. and, you know, Fishburners is a perfect example of, you know, a community where they run hundreds of events and I know that you're curating many of them, you know, like you're really finding things that will bring people together on topics they love, you know, Startup Vic and Launch Vic, for example, in, in Victoria based, um, you know, the communities over in WA and Adelaide, like Tonsley and in, in Brisbane, you know, each city has a lot of communities to, to really work with that. But I'm also noticing there's a, a new movement of people who are, creating things for themselves as mm. well, right? Like I, I think, you know, when I first moved back from San Francisco, I think I had been lazy over there because everybody is doing stuff, right? Like yeah. there are a billion events for you to go to at any night of the week. All you have to do is like, you know, get a couple of text messages from people and you can go to 10 events in a night and, you know, especially pre-COVID, there's just stuff constantly happening and then you come back to Australia and you're like well entertain me damn it like what's going on here so I can see that the opportunity in Australia as well is to be someone who starts things and makes things happen how do you kind of you know start getting into that space a little bit more you're so right and it's been such a an incredible thing to see that segmentation of communities start to emerge. And it's so diverse in that it can be based on industry, it can be based on, you know, profile of the founders, it could be on, you know, migrant backgrounds or, you know, where they've come from in terms of tech companies. You're starting to see ex-Google, Zooglers, ex-BCG, what that would never have existed, you know, five to 10 years ago. And even in this letter, you see all these aspects of identity. You're from the UK, you come from fintechs, you're whether whatever gender you identify as or, you know, new to this country, there are already so many pieces, identifying pieces there, you know, community builder, marketer that you could start to use to sort of build that up as well. So, yeah, a few pieces in there. So um, one of my favourite case studies is um, Emily Casey, who um, was curious about health tech, right? And she just came at it with full transparency and said, uh, you know, I've trained as a, as a doctor, I don't know terribly much about health tech, but I just, I really, really want to learn. I'm going to communicate about the things that I learn from the people that I have coffees with from, you know, and then once I've had coffee with sufficient people, I'm going to see if I can invite them along to, to drinks of an evening and see if I can learn even more from them. And, and, and when Emily's, you know, holding 
the microphone as the as the convener. You know, she's she's not yet saying, "Hey, I'm an expert in my industry," but I'm bringing the people together who are, and we're all learning from that. And gradually, some, you know, some of that awareness, some of that positioning, and starts to wear off. You know, so so Emily herself starts to become the attraction. People come along to what the health meetings because they want to get a little bit of Emily's time and find out who she's connected to. Is that a valid approach? Absolutely. Emily is such an excellent example. Another would probably be Annie as well in the ecosystem who just ran probably Australia's largest demo day by all accounts. I think we reached, I think they cracked 400 the other night in fish burners and it was unreal. And that was an AI builders club that really derived from her passion for AI startups and then also community and sort of bringing all these people who came from very different backgrounds. They probably were working, you know, software engineering jobs during the day, but really wanted to build outside of their day jobs. And she created a space for them to actually connect, meet with mentors and industry experts and get advice. And it was a six week sort of boot camp that culminated in this enormous, enormous, you know, celebration of this new sort of inflection point in our ecosystem. AI has been the absolute flavor of the year this year. And so nothing's been done with it yet to this extent and that was incredible opportunity as well where being in the right time at the right place it really makes a difference that's so great and you know on a more micro uh, scale as well one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got and this was also in San Francisco with John Williams ex culture amp now with pine he said you should just go have 50 coffees which seemed like yes. a horrendous terrifying <laughs> daunting thing because I was in a space of okay I've been working it's as a journalist. Twenty-five coffees a day for two days. No, no, like this. He really, he really kind of, you know, I was trying to figure out like which area do I really want to go into here, and how do I figure out what it is. I was learning new terms like UX and CX, and not understanding, you know, what is this user experience sort of thing. And and organizational development is a a, a nice area, but like, what does that actually look like in a startup space? And so, you know, he became my first coffee. And the best question that he got me to ask at the end of each coffee was, and you don't need 50 people right off the bat, like at the end of each coffee, you're literally saying to the person, is there anyone else that you think I could connect with? Is there Mm. anyone else you think I should go and have a chat with? Do you know anyone else you'd be open to introducing uh, me to? And, you know, that built my entire network. Those 50 coffees, and it's become a practice for me, like when I moved to Sydney, when I moved to Bangkok, you know, when I moved back to Melbourne, like reacquainting yourself with a place, but also taking the time to just, you know, coffee is expensive, I'm not going to lie, but like, you know, it's worth buying a coffee for all of these people and just sitting down and, and having those conversations. And I'm now at a point where I'm the person that they're asking for a coffee, you know, like, you know, now I've become one of the people who's connecting people in and it does feel like this lovely pay it forward kind of, you know, moment. But especially if you're someone who's afraid to go to big gatherings or you feel a little daunted by that, Having a one-on-one conversation can be a you know much safer feeling way to connect into community and find your people. That actually reminds me of something that I was doing at the beginning of my sort of startup career pivot, and it was a Notion spreadsheet where I, I just called it coffee. I hopefully not coffee strategy. That sounds terrible, but it was sort of like a basically a spreadsheet of people I was really curious to meet with, where they worked, what they did, why I wanted to meet with them. And also sort of how warm that lead was. So if I knew anyone in common, 
um, who could help introduce me or if it was someone completely out of reach and I'd need to sort of, you know, work a little bit more to, to get closer to that potential person. And for me, I actually in sort of the early days of my career, that whole concept of networking was so disconcerting for me. I didn't enjoy networking. I had to really, really work on reframing what that actually meant for me and how to build meaningful connections. You sort of go through, especially back when I was in business school, networking was just flashbacks to, you know, men in suits and canapes and just so awkward and, and so, you know, empty. And I think that going through the Startmate Women's Fellowship, where I actually had the spaces and the opportunities to connect with really interesting people and really sort of safe environments, but also environments that were stimulating and, you know, reciprocal, it really helped me to. And now day to day, all I do is sort of talk to people and learn more about them. And I enjoy it immensely. But I think that also if that's something that doesn't naturally come to you or it doesn't naturally energize you, finding other ways to just sort of, you know, make it more targeted and making it all about people who really excite you as well is really valuable. Sabrina, I think we owe it to you to tell us a little bit about Fishburners. It's a strange name (laughs) and uh, we've disclosed that it's a community, but what's Fishburners all about? Where does it come from? What does it do? Yeah, absolutely. I should definitely yeah get on that one. So Fishburners is essentially a community and we aim to democratize entrepreneurship and make innovation and tech-enabled innovation as accessible as possible to anyone in the country or in the world, in the community. And it really started out about 12 years ago as this space uh, where our co-founders essentially came back from Silicon Valley and sort of said, wow, the culture over there, that kind of community and space where people can build and grow and learn, it just doesn't really exist here. So they created that over in Ultimo and there are all these awesome stories of really scrappy early stage stuff like building your own desks and taking your own trash out and that kind of spirit I think we've really retained um, but a, a little bit <laughs> evolved a little bit now so a decade later we really aim to productize community and what does that mean because you know the community and the ecosystem has evolved so much in the last decade as well so the way that you actually serve and lead and innovate has to change internally as well. So we've always been known, you know, for providing that co-working space, having that physical presence. But then we have an incredible team that's building digital products to actually tap into all these other segments. So now we start to see, for example, corporates or service providers starting to realize the importance of innovation and how do they incorporate that or how do they connect meaningfully with founders? And we're sort of aiming to solve all of those as well. And the community is so diverse, industry agnostic. It's quite remarkable being surrounded by such brilliant, interesting, you know, ambitious people all the time. You just realize the levels and the kinds of conversations you're having are so insightful. And that just becomes the baseline of your existence, which is incredible, like such a privilege. And so I joined the team in January once I returned to Sydney at the end of last year. And for me, it's been such an incredible learning curve to meet all of these people, understand the ecosystem, understand how to shape that and curate that in the future as well, and build the infrastructure to really grow it and make it really successful. So if you've just landed from the UK and you're trying to find your your tribe here in Australia, don't work from your kitchen table, right? Go and get a desk in a startup co-working space, but ideally a startup co-working space like Fishburners that has an active community of events um, on all through the week, lunchtime meetups and breakfast things and social activities and professional development things on the evenings. 
because um, you can have 50 coffees, but you can also have, um, you know, 50 slices of pizza or fish burners events as well. Yeah, or you could come to one community drinks session and have one drink and meet 50 people that way as well. And, and it's also about, like, recognising the people, you know, obviously you're now going to kind of keep calm and carry on, no Sabrina, and be looking out for Sabrina at these events. You know, you're looking for the friendly faces of people who've been there before. And any of us who have, you know, been in that space before are the people who are going to be watching the door, looking for someone who's awkwardly standing on the outside of a circle. You know, look for those. I call us soccer mums. Like we're the people who sit at the back of the pitch kind of doing the little smile or looking for the person who's, you know, maybe awkward and not talking to someone. Look for those friendly faces. They are there, sometimes a little hard to find, but, you know, and if you are someone who's at these events as well, keep an eye out for the people who are on the outer and maybe aren't as involved or don't seem to be, you know, gelling or getting in there as much as they could. We have an opportunity to create community, all of us together, and to be welcoming, especially to people who are bringing amazing expertise from overseas. So, you know, there is a real opportunity for all of us to to do that together at these events, no matter which city you're in. And when a community soccer mum helps you out, don't forget to repay the favour. You are now on the inside and there are other people hoping to break in. Who can you find? Who can you help? Be a soccer mum for everybody. That's so good. <laughs> Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a pleasure and wonderful to chat with you. And we're very happy to have you back in Australia as well. Sabrina Zeng, Head of Ecosystem at Fishburners, doing amazing things in partnership, innovation and growth. And I've just got to say this again because I just this is my favourite ever line in anyone's bio, maybe ever. Con- consistently iterating a kaleidoscope of experience to connect meaningfully with all kinds of people. I mean, if, if you don't want that in your corner, I just don't even know what you're looking for. That is brilliant. Thank you so much. Oh, the brilliant Sabrina Zing. Have you ever sold like physical products, like at a market, for yes. example? Have you? Yes, I have. Yeah. You do contain multitudes. <laughs> when my when my now huge, you know, six foot six son was uh, you know, fit in the crook of my arm. Uh, one afternoon, he and I were sitting out on the deck, and he was he was drinking his bottle of milk, you know, his little chubby fists, and I was drinking my beer in my in my beer stubby holder, and uh, he was having a little trouble holding on to this this big milk bottle, and I had to keep holding it for him, and I wondered to myself, I wonder, you know, I've got a beer stubby holder on my bottle of beer, I oh wonder if gosh. a little stubby holder for babies would be a fun thing with like a little hand. Yeah, yeah, um, no, it didn't have hands on it, but it was oh. the 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 design of the beer stubby holder was was like. Um, um, a beer label, mm. but it had cows on it. You know, That's so, so it was, good. So it was called Milk Cooler. We did three designs, uh, you know, with with packaging and you know top quality glass in the bottle, uh, imported from the UK. And uh, it was very very early in in social media, um, and so I blogged about it. I tried to find mums groups on on social media to, to share it with, um, but mainly I went to the markets, as many markets as I could get to, and I sat there in the blazing sun and the pouring rain and the freezing cold hoping to try and sell some of my units. It wasn't very successful as a product. I was mm-hmm. I was too early for my time. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's the sort of thing now that you would drop ship and do beautifully with. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I feel like that would be actually be a pretty cool market. Like if you think about it, especially people who have multiple 
bubbers. Mm. That would actually be kind of great. Like you could do it where you shove their little hands in the stubby. Yeah. So they're holding it yeah, themselves. Little grippers, little grippers yeah. yeah. And my, my hypothesis was that, you know, um, uh, 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 women buy gifts for a, for a new mum. Yes. Um, and 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 men should have a gift for for new dads. And, and so this this was where I was going with it. But instead, what I found really was that that men went, oh, really? You had a baby? Your your partner had a baby? Oh, okay, cool. So look back to the footy results on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that is ahead of its time because I feel like now what more have you men sold? care. Have you sold things? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little. They seem to care a little bit about that oh, whole thing. Oh, that's right. I've got a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my kid. Yeah. 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 Have, Have I sold, sold things? things? Oh, no. I've, like, one of the weirder things that I tried to set up as a company was a dating agency, mm-hmm. like a digital dating agency before that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking, oh, this must have been like 2001. Oh. Um, where we, yeah, we started talking about it. A friend of mine and I, we'd been at, journalism school together and we were talking about the fact that we were very good matchmakers. So I have this interesting distinction of everyone I have ever lived with, partners or otherwise, like housemates. hooked them up. Yeah, and the next person, either someone I've introduced them to or the next person that they have ended up, you know, dating is the person that they've married. So I have a bunch of girlfriends who really want to live live with me because they're like, we want your juju. (laughs) You can come and like, you know, be the, be the dating bunny. But yeah, so Mm. I, I'd set up a bunch of people at that stage, all of whom are still together actually. So my odds, you know, my odds are good. Uh, The goods are odd, but the odds are good. How how was the dating agency going to work? Were you going to record videos, get them to record videos? Yeah, we were going to do audio. So because Mm. we were working in journalism, we were, you know, recording people's voices and asking them a series of questions and then sending around the audio files so that someone could, it'd be like a blind date sort of. Voices are so important. Yes. Mm. And like how people respond to questions and you could Mm. listen to them. And we were emailing those around. Um, yeah. And I, I got offered a, a little job on a national television show and oh, defected to Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> I moved over here and yeah, but it was that was that was kind of my first real foray into like, you know, starting a business and figuring those pieces out and not having any idea what I was doing. <laughs> Neither of us had any idea what we were doing. We did have a very glamorous and amazing launch party. And because we had been at a performing arts school, we got a bunch of circus performers. So we had like fire wow. twirlers and fire, like flame throwers, you know, the fire breathing. And yeah, it was an expensive and fabulous launch that everybody loved, but I'd we, it basically cost us a lot of money. Oh, <laughs> really, it goes to show. Like well, dating, I, I do things differently yeah. now. <laughs> the dating's still an unsolved problem, according to the three or four founders who come and pitch me their dating app. Yeah. You know, then you spin on dating apps. Uh, you know, a month for a month, I would say, you know, so there's always another riff. You could come back to this one later, me. Oh, I don't think I've got it in me. <laughs> maybe I could come back to babies, yeah. uh, beer stubby holders for, for babies' bottles. We could combine and have like a, you know, if you, <laughs> you get <laughs> you a You and free... your new partner, have yeah. a baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these cross-promotion, uh, you know, Sometimes it's businesses. the craziest ideas yeah, work out yeah. big. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we've got a letter today yeah. from someone, I don't think it's a, a crazy idea. I actually feel like this is more of a grassroots, very wholesome letter. I really love this one. Dear advisory board, I'm a jeweler and I've been successfully selling my products for over a decade at markets to start and more recently through wholesalers and homeware stores. 
COVID lockdowns really affected my business, but it also forced me to think outside of the box. I started an e-commerce site. I learned how to take better photos of my wares. And two years later, those sales have totally eclipsed my more in-person sales. But now I'm really torn about where to focus my business. I love markets and selling in person, but I worry I waste too much time on them. I also don't really want to be sitting on my computer and packing bags all day shipping units. Please tell me, how do I decide how to grow my business from sparkly things? Uh, Thank you, sparkly things. (laughs) Isn't that so wholesome? I love it. I I really, I I feel her on this because Mm -hmm. I, I really see with this, the difference between, and you know, a lot of the time we're talking about startups and 10x growth and VC and getting funding and these big, huge plays in the market. And I think Sparkly Things is in a lot of ways looking at the day-to-day, like how do you like spending your day? Mm. Is this enough? You know, I can, you know, she's obviously asking us, she still wants to grow the business, mm. but it's also asking how do I want to be spending my time and, and what do I want to spend my life on? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my, you know, my initial um, response to Sparkly Things would be, tell me more about why you want to grow the business because it sounds like you've got a pretty great business right now. Yes, that's a good you point. Know? So, you know, sometimes entrepreneurs go on the entrepreneurial journey to build something which is a billion-dollar company yes. and, and sometimes actually people are looking for work which is more meaningful to them. Yes. Um, and... and I feel like, you know, my, my entrepreneurial gut instinct is, is that Sparkly Things is that second kind of, of entrepreneur. Somebody who wants to really connect with a customer and, and, and have those awesome relationships um, in person um, who's ideally supported by a successful online retail site. Right? That sounds like um, a pretty great life. Um, yeah. I want to swap places. You know? Yeah. Well, also, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're a jeweler, so you're selling your stuff. You know, it's an artistic pursuit as well. Mm. And I would think... I'm not an artist, but I would think there's something very different with having someone come up to you at a market and find the perfect piece of, you know, pair of earrings or get really excited or you've got something out the back for them or you can ship them something that's in a particular colour or make them something. Mm. It's a very human and beautiful and artistic interaction versus a review online where it's like five stars, two thumbs up. That was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, please rate us. Yeah, Yeah, it's very different and you're still selling and that's great and you're doing that in stores, but I don't see anything wrong with doing both, you know? Yeah, and what I would maybe do, you know, if, if, if packing bags and taking them to the post office isn't that exciting <laughs> to you, I'd probably be thinking about, well, you know, how much more would I need to grow the online retail side of the business that I, so that I could employ a couple of people and, and a part-time manager to manage those people yes. so I can spend more of my time on design and, and customer relationships in person at markets. Yes. That ought to be possible. Disrupt. This is The Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. <laughs> Not that Alan Jones. If we are looking at this as a sort of cost per unit, you know, so for example, uh-huh. I'm, I'm involved with a pickle company where they sell um, into retailers and they also sell at markets and they sell e-commerce style um, and they wholesale various bits and pieces. And, you know, a lot of the analysis we do is like, where should you spend your time and energy? Mm. And, you know, so if we if we put to, you know, put the love mm-hmm. to one side for a moment and the human interaction piece and we're purely looking at, you know, 
where should we be focusing to grow the business? Like that's a, a pretty easy cost analysis of looking at like, you know, how long does it take you to make a, a piece of jewellery? Mm. How long would it take you to, to make it if you're going to do it in, in a wholesale sense? You know, how many phone calls would you need to make? Is there someone that you use to take you into a homeware store or are you mm-hmm. literally, you know, beating the street to, to make that happen? Um, you know, how many hours would you be spending at a typical market? How many units do you move mm-hmm. uh, at a typical market versus how many would you do online? And I think you could pretty much, you know, by the numbers, you know, looking at that with a spreadsheet, it's like, well, actually the cost per unit at a market is way, way higher. You know, I'm making way more money on that or mm-hmm. way less money. You know, I have to send sell 10 units via the homeware store because it's just a commission situation versus I only have to sell two at the market. It might actually be a better prospect for you to be selling at more markets. Yeah, selling at more markets or, or maybe having um – experimenting with having a, a full-time physical presence in one place, you know. So yes. so I know in, in, in my local retail district, um, we, we have a pop-up shop, you know, somebody oh, who's nice. taken out a, a six-month lease, and I think they've just extended it for another six-month lease because it's kind of gone okay. Yeah. And they've, you know, they've they've finished the, the empty space of the store with, with you know, sort of odd odd bits from, from here or there, and they're selling their own jewellery in that space. And I think... The smart thing about that approach is is that you know when when you're selling pickles, it's it's unlikely that the person eating the sandwich is going to go, "Where are these pickles from?" Like yeah. it might happen, <laughs> but it's unlikely. But but yeah. when you when you're wearing jewelry, it's there on display, right? Yes. And so a friend might go, "Oh, that's an interesting piece. I haven't seen that before. Where did you get that?" Right? And if you say, "Oh, you know, I got it at the markets. I'm not really sure it's what every day of the Sunday. month. Or, yeah, yeah. And somewhere in there, and 400 other stalls." You know, versus having like a little pop-up shop at a fixed address for for a period of time, um, word of mouth I think is a really really powerful marketing tool. So it might be necessary, you know, <laughs> when somebody walks into your pop-in shop and go, you know, where did you hear about us? Like, did you hear about us at the market, or you know, were you recommended here by a friend who's who's bought in store before? And then you get a better idea of well, actually, what's the total cost of 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 this physical retail space we have. That's really great. One of the things I've also seen is on the back of labels, you know, of a particular product, mm-hmm. having a QR code or having something, you know, that's a bit of a reward for mm-hmm. someone to give feedback about the product. So it takes you straight to a website or to some kind of feedback mechanism and offering them a slight discount for future earrings or whatever it is that you make, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. sparkly things. Um, they sound sparkly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so that you do get that feedback loop of like, how did you hear about us? You know, where should I be concentrating my time? Where yeah. should I, you know, does it matter that they, you know, sometimes you fall in love with the founder or there's that really lovely person at the markets that you just want to have a chat with and you'd buy their jewellery even if it's not exactly your thing, but you'd buy it for a friend because yeah. you think it's a, you know, a, a lovely person behind the helm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you start to really recognise the things that excite your customers as well so that you can really double down on those and make sure that that's where you put your time and energy. Totally, totally. And, and you know, always be thinking, you know, how am I going to extend the relationship with this customer? If, if they're buying one thing from you, you know, how can we make that, you know, easy and accessible and more fun, you know, because people, I think, love to be discovering things for the people yes. that they care about. You know, jewellery is a, is, is a personal thing, but if it's something that works for you it's, it's and you know somebody well and you know what works for them, there's, there's nothing more meaningful than receiving something that you would have bought yourself if you knew it existed, right? Yes. Yeah, delighting people. Yeah, 
yeah, this is the perfect gift for me. You must understand me. Yes. That means our relationship matters. That's a very cool thing. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole thing on love languages that we can get into, but they're debunking that at the moment, so I'll leave oh, that for another time. Apparently there's no psychological proof to it. It was like oh, an no. old church thing where they did it as an interview for people getting married in the church, in some church. And, yeah, so it's like I think any of those things, and I'm going to – I'm going to get real hippie here, but like I think everything from like crystals to astrology to tarot to love languages, all of those things, horoscopes, mm-hmm. all of the things, I think they are great tools for helping people with self-awareness and divination. So when I say divination, it's literally like, oh, today your horoscope says that you're going to... Go on a radio show. You're going on a radio (laughs) show. No, but like not even the predicting the future sort of thing. It's just like you need to be really careful of your relationships today. And the opportunity for you is not to be like walking around like, oh, no, I'm really nervous about my relationships. (laughs) It's like, okay, cool. Like that's something for me to be aware of. Like it's not a bad thing to be aware of relationships. Like if it increases your self-awareness and your self-discovery and checking in on yourself and self-examination, I'm all for it. Cool. I'm like, if that involves a crystal in your pocket, go for it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, love language is the same. It's like, I, I'm i a real acts of service gal, you know? And like, a little bit of words of affirmation, I like that as well. But, you know... You're so good at this. I'm not a, I'm not a gifts person, yeah. really. I don't really care about gifts. I give them because I know other people care about them. Hi, Mum. But, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, you just kind of get into this thing of... You know, I think it's it's good information. Yeah, everything's a template. You Everything. Know? Everything's a template. And yeah. and uh, there's two ways to create reality in the world. Like you, you can start with science, you can start with data, um, or you can just start with a template. Yeah, and your rising sign. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the advisory board uh, where I am a, a Libra rising um. and a Virgo moon, which means <laughs> I, I can be a little controlling when things get hard. We know this about me, but... I was born in early January and nobody remembers my birthday, damn it. (laughs) A Capricorn. Classic thing a Capricorn would say. (laughs) We'll be back. Make sure you send us your questions or write to us about your problems. You can reach us at hello at disrupt.radio. You can find us on Instagram or on LinkedIn. Disrupt. Disrupt Radio. Hi, I'm Nick Brax, host of Soul Trader on Disrupt Radio. I've been interviewing people who have achieved huge things in life and uncovering how they keep it together and how they survive the struggle to success. You can listen to all of my podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or whichever podcast you prefer. Just search Nick Brax, Soul Trader. When you finish binging all of my shows, be sure to check out the rest of the Disrupt Podcast Library, The Business Lounge, The Next Shift, Global Disruptors, The Advisory Board, and Conscious Capital. Maybe you own a business or an entrepreneur or just simply want to improve yourself. Disrupt Podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tune in to Opportunity. Disrupt Radio.